Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come now to the preaching of your word, would it be unto us a living word, piercing the heart, convicting us of sin, but also building us up in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Help your servant to preach your word faithfully and help your people to receive this word, for we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you'll please open your Bibles to our sermon text, continuing in Romans chapter 14. Uh, This morning we'll be looking at verses 13 through 23 in the Pew Bibles on page 949. Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself For what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We're in this section of Paul's letter to the Romans where he is dealing with an issue which is causing division in the church. We saw last time there are some believers from a Jewish background who abstain from meat and celebrate certain special days, holidays. And there are others who, enjoying their freedom in Christ, gladly eat meat and don't celebrate these holidays. Paul labels these two groups, the weak and the strong. And last week we saw his opening message to these two groups was that they were to welcome one another. And not to quarrel over their different convictions. The weak were to stop judging and condemning the strong. And the strong were to stop despising the weak. Now, if they obey these exhortations, that means they will begin to enjoy fellowship with one another. Including shared fellowship meals. But if you think about it, that will present new problems. And Paul will now address those in the second part of this section, which we're looking at this morning. 
Last week, we also considered some issues that are more likely to divide Christians today. We might not be divided over meat-eating and holidays, but there are different convictions concerning alcohol and tobacco, alcohol and tobacco use, music, dancing and entertainment, how exactly to keep the Lord's day, and even how to best educate our children. Then, after the sermon last week, someone came up and said to me, why didn't you say anything about the divisions among Christians about COVID restrictions and masks and how to love your neighbor during the pandemic? And to be honest, it didn't come to mind as I was preparing the sermon, partly because we're pretty much through the worst of the pandemic and partly because I was focused on the traditional divisions. But to be honest, this is another excellent example. Now, in our modern examples, it's not always easy to put one side or the other into Paul's category of the weak and the strong. But the principles in our passage still apply. That we are to welcome one another, to not judge or despise one another. This morning, we'll see several new principles and exhortations of how to live together in the church, even as we have different convictions concerning how to live together in a way that pleases the Lord. I will work our way through the passage this morning under four headings. First, do not put a stumbling block before your brother. Second, live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Third, pursue peace and mutual edification. And fourth, do everything in faith with a clear conscience. So first we'll begin... Do not put a stumbling block before your brother. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, this verse opens by summarizing the previous section. Do not judge one another. And then it introduces a new topic. Do not put a stumbling block in the way of a brother. Note that Paul says this is a decision you need to make. It's a a commitment that you make, and then, of course, you must keep that commitment. Now, a stumbling block or hindrance refers to something that would cause your brother to stumble, to fall into sin. Now, technically, you cannot force, you cannot make another person sin, for a person's actions are their own to make. But what Paul is saying here is that we can become a source of temptation. And that's what Paul is calling us to avoid. And this is an extremely serious matter. For our Lord said in Matthew 18, 6, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. This is very serious. Practically speaking, what is Paul actually suggesting here? If the strong are now welcoming the weak, that will mean sharing fellowship meals. And if the weak are abstaining from meat, that will mean not setting a table that includes meat, and thus tempting them to violate their conscience. Paul immediately adds to this verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. And here Paul makes a theological declaration based on the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world can no longer be separated 
into clean and unclean. Paul is drawing from Christ's teaching in Mark 7, 18 through 23. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters in not into not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So Paul, based on Jesus' teaching, says that the Old Testament kosher food laws no longer apply for the New Testament believers. So in one sense, there is no longer any such thing as an unclean food. But Paul then goes on to say, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. The uncleanness does not reside in the food itself, but rather the fact that the person does not have the faith to eat the food with a clear conscience before God. This is why Paul is saying that the strong should not eat meat or set meat before the weak in their shared fellowship meal, lest they become a stumbling block for them. Verse 15, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. To set a stumbling block before a brother, at its heart, it's a violation of love. Rather than loving your brother, this simple act of eating could actually be destructive. And Paul is extremely direct in the second half of verse 15 as he issues this direct command. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Think about it. If Christ laid down his life for your brother to redeem him out of his sin, would you not do so small a thing as relinquish some of your freedom? Would you not lay down some of your rights and abstain from foods so as to not be a stumbling block for him? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2 3. And Paul isn't saying here that when he says, don't destroy, he's not saying that you're going to cause your brother necessarily to lose his salvation. We know that you can't cause someone to lose their salvation, but. If he falls into sin because of something you do, you could do some serious damage. Think about if we apply this to the issue of drinking alcoholic beverages. Perhaps you partake before a brother who used to be an alcoholic and has achieved a a hard-won sobriety. But because of seeing you enjoy your freedom, this brother falls back into drinking. You can imagine some long lasting damage being done. And just to flesh this out a little bit more, to give more of an example, consider how our church has decided to 
handle this delicate issue of alcohol in general. Now, we do believe that Christ served actual wine when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And so we serve wine in the Lord's Supper. But for the sake of those who do not drink or cannot drink, we also serve grape juice. However, when it comes to church picnics and luncheons, is our practice not to serve any alcoholic beverages lest we cause anyone to stumble. This is the delicate balance that we've tried to strike in our church on this issue of alcohol. But I imagine there are, for example, evangelical churches in France where it would be common to have a church luncheon where wine is served and no one thinks anything of it. But here in our culture, I think our practice is wise and is our way of caring for one another. So the theme of these first few verses is not to put a stumbling block before, one, before a brother. Second, live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. A freedom from the Mosaic kosher laws, in general, it is a good thing. However, it is not good if this freedom is used in such a way that it causes others to sin. As Paul has said, this violates the law of love and causes destruction. Paul has already warned the weaker brothers not to judge the strong. But if the strong become the source of their stumbling, that temptation to judge may instead turn into a temptation to slander, a temptation to bitterness, even to, to hatred. That's exactly what Paul is seeking to avoid here in verse 16. Then Paul really gets to the heart of the matter here in verse 17, and I think this may be the most important verse in this whole section. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is God's kingdom all about? It's not about eating and drinking, although, as Paul has already stated, we should be giving thanks to God as we eat and drink. And we should be eating and drinking in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Fellowship meals can be a wonderful opportunity to encourage one another to build relationships in the church. All that is well and good. If we do that, if we enjoy fellowship together, along with all the other things, like worshiping and serving the Lord, that will lead to what Paul says the kingdom of God is really all about. Righteousness and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When you think about it, we also see here that the strong, by flaunting their freedom in Christ, are actually falling into the opposite, an opposite error to that of the Pharisees. But the end result ends up being very similar. In Matthew 23, Jesus criticized the Pharisees because they were so focused on the details of the law and their legalism that they even tied the produce of their herbs and spices. Imagine you're growing basil in your kitchen window, and each time you take off a leaf or two to put in the soup, you snip off one-tenth of the leaf to give as an offering to the Lord. But meanwhile, as the Lord says, they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So the 
Pharisees were diligent in keeping the law, while on the other side of the spectrum, the strong were so focused on their freedom from the law that they also were neglecting what was most important, their love for their brothers and sisters in the church. So Paul writes in verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. The focus should be on serving Christ in the church by welcoming your brothers and sisters and not causing them to stumble. If you do this, then not only will you receive approval from your master, as he says, well done, good and faithful servant, but also approval from your fellow servants. So second, you are called to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Third, pursue peace and mutual edification. Now, so far, we have seen that Paul has been mostly speaking in the negative. Do not be a stumbling block. Do not destroy your brother. And now he puts it positively in verse 17. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In other words, let's put this into action. Let's not only not cause our brothers to stumble, but positively seek to make peace, seek to build them up in the faith. The flip side of verse 19 is found in verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. The opposite of building up would be to destroy, to tear down. It would be absurd to tear down a brother just so that you can enjoy your freedom to eat certain foods in the presence of your weaker brother. Paul then affirms again that these foods are, they are indeed clean, but also reminds us the danger of eating in such a way as to cause a brother to stumble. He then comes back to the positive in verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Just as it is wrong to cause a brother to stumble, so it is positively good to abstain. If it is done out of love, to abstain for a time out of love for a brother. And here we should take some time to consider what does this look like in practice? And Paul's focus here is on fellowship meals. And I think that's appropriate because that's a time when we are all gathered together around the table. And it's in this setting when we could easily either encourage one another or cause others to stumble. Now, the first step for you might be just to be there at the fellowship meals or open your house for hospitality so that you can be an encouragement for your brothers and sisters in Christ. The first step is just to show up. Now, if you're already doing that, the next step is considering your words. What is the conversation like around the table? How can you build up your brothers and sisters in Christ? Of course, we can all talk about the news, talk about the weather, talk about the sports. But let's direct the conversation to spiritual things, to share prayer requests, to share our struggles, to share how we might encourage one another in Christ. Then how can you encourage them in the Lord and spur them on to love and good deeds? Also think about how you can use your spiritual gifts 
to serve others, to show the love of Christ. We all have ways that we can build one another up in the church. And in doing this, we can not only heal any divisions there might be, but also through strengthening relationships, prevent any divisions from forming. There's always ways we can be deepening relationships in the church and serving Christ by serving one another. So third, positively, pursue peace and mutual edification. Fourth, do everything in faith with a clear conscience. Verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now here again, as we saw in verse 1, all the way back at the beginning of chapter 14, Paul is not talking about saving faith in Christ. Paul would certainly never say you should keep quiet about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather, he's speaking here about the faith to make that connection that the believer is freed from the Mosaic law. The faith to exercise Christian liberty in the areas where these weaker Christians were still feeling constrained. He is talking about the faith that the strong have to exercise their Christian freedom. If, and if they feel they must eat meat, he's saying you should do that between yourself and God. Do that in private, in your own homes. And Paul here isn't even recommending that the strong gather separately for their own meals, because obviously that could lead to cliques forming in the church. And that's the problem he's trying to solve, not something he is trying to encourage. Now this is followed by a blessing. As he writes, Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. In other words, it's a wonderful thing when you do not feel guilty about the things that you judge are right. This should then lead you to live out your convictions with the result that you do not provoke yourself to a guilty conscience. That's not quite clear to you. We see the opposite of this in verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. Verse 23 is describing the doubting or the wavering Christian who is not sure about whether or not to eat, and therefore he easily trips over a stumbling block and then feels guilty for his actions. Even though all food is clean in itself, eating can be sinful if it is not eaten, eaten in faith. And Paul explains this with an even broader, a general principle. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In order to please God, an action must not only be in accord with God's law, but a person must also act in faith, with a heart believing that it is right, set on pleasing God. However, Paul is teaching here that if you do something that is actually right, is actually in accord with God's law, while believing in your heart that you are sinning, you are violating your conscience. And that is sin. It is displeasing to God. At first, this may seem a bit subjective. How could it be that eating meat is sin for one person and not another? But really, the sin is in the heart. It is the sin of acting against the conscience. The sin of acting not out of faith in God. And to violate the conscience is neither right nor good. 
Now, certainly, the goal of every Christian should be to train the conscience, to be conformed as much as possible to the law of God. And we do that by studying and meditating on God's word, by hearing it proclaimed and receiving it with faith. And of course, violating the conscience is extremely dangerous because you can sear the conscience so that it no longer warns you when you are about to violate, when you are about to do what is wrong. And so Paul is encouraging us here to do everything in faith, keeping a clear conscience. However, we must also be careful to note here that this does not work the other way around. This may be obvious, but let me just say it to be clear. Just because you believe something is right, your conscience is clear, does not make it so. Your conscience may be clear, but a human conscience is fallible and can be mistaken. There are many people who have sinned quite grievously while having no pangs of conscience, but they are not therefore innocent in the eyes of God. One implication of this principle, that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, is that the non-believer who does not have faith in Christ is not capable of not sinning. Everything he does is not done in faith, and therefore is sin. Of course, Paul put the same truth in slightly different words back in chapter 8. There he wrote, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, Romans 8, 7, and 8. Therefore, the only solution is to repent of your sin, to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Only Christ can rescue you from the wrath of God. Only he can save you and give you the gift of eternal life. He calls you to simply put your trust in him, to receive his sacrifice on the cross where he gave his life in your place. And when you trust in Christ, you are incorporated into his body, the church. And it's in the church where we begin to walk through this life together, loving one another as Christ has loved us, despite our differences. So this morning we've seen the call to first not be a stumbling block to one another but rather positively to seek what makes for peace and mutual edification. This may mean laying down some of your rights and freedoms if it better serves your brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you know, the kingdom of God is not all about you, but what serves Christ and his body. And the result is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so it is a beautiful thing when we walk together in unity in Christ despite our differences. And so let us seek together the kingdom of God and his righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word in which you have revealed to us the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, 
that he has given his life for us. He has laid it down. And we thank you that you have called us to lay down our rights and our freedoms at time so that we might not harm a brother or a sister for whom Christ died. May we do this with joy and not with grumbling. May we gladly make sacrifices so that we might build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. We do pray, Lord, that we would have this spirit among ourselves, among this church, that we would gladly make sacrifices for one another so that your body might be built up and so that you might be glorified in your church. For we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.